Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 744 for the 21st of May, 2021. This week, those who know more about how computers work than their friends and family do are often called on to answer questions and provide help. Helping even nearby friends can be a problem these days because social distancing is still recommended. But if that person is halfway across the country, you need a way to see what's on your friend's computer. In short circuits, because spams and scams are fascinating, I sometimes deconstruct them to see what makes them tick. If you are more interested in just avoiding the things, consider this recommendation. Any email must be assumed to be a con until it proves that it's not. Whether you know it or not, you probably have a scanner in your pocket, and that's something that can be quite useful. In spare parts, only on the website, Adobe Creative Cloud users who also use Google Docs or Slides in Google Workspace will find that the systems now connect with each other. When the PR people forget to check with the technicians, embarrassing mistakes can happen, such as that in a recent email from the Mozilla Foundation. And 20 years ago, both Gateway and Juno had just settled with the Federal Trade Commission over use of the word free. Those who know more about how computers work than their friends and family do are often called on to answer questions and provide help. If your friend or family member lives next door or down the street, a house call is good. But what if that person lives halfway across the country? And even nearby friends and family can be problematic these days as we continue to deal with the COVID pandemic. So using a utility to connect your computer to theirs is essential. Long ago, I sometimes needed to provide support, but programs to connect computers were unknown back then. The person providing support had to depend on the person receiving support to report what they were doing when the problem occurred, to describe the exact error conditions, to report the text from any error messages they'd seen, to follow instructions exactly, to report what they saw accurately, and not to do anything they had not been asked to do. So the person providing support asks a question such as, have you changed or updated anything, or have you installed any new applications? The most common answer is no. But then later you find out that four Windows updates have been installed, half a dozen applications have been updated, and two new programs have been added, one of which contained a virus. So no, of course, nothing has changed. Or you ask, what error message did you see? Oh, it said there was a problem with something, but I didn't write it down. So generally, you're starting with no useful information. That's still the case today, but it may be possible to replicate an error so that you can see what happened if you have an application that lets you view the computer screen. Most users will accurately perform any actions requested, but all too often they perform extra steps they think might be useful, or they anticipate what they think you'll ask them to do and accidentally make the situation worse. By the way, if you've ever wondered how tech support actually does work, 
Webcomic XKCD created the most accurate description I've ever seen. It's from many years ago. It was accurate then. It's accurate now. And you'll find it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Fortunately, today there are several applications that allow those of us who provide support, either commercially or free for friends and family, to see exactly what happened and to work on a computer as if we were sitting right there in front of it. Several programs allow one person to see another person's computer screen and at least to have some control over the mouse and keyboard. Let's consider TeamViewer, Arrow Admin, and Zoom. I had used the free version of Aero Admin for several years, but encountered a problem in 2020 that caused me to switch to TeamViewer instead. After using TeamViewer for six months or so, a total of three or four uses, I decided it is entirely unworkable and reverted to Aero Admin. Both of those applications allow for limited free usage. TeamViewer says it cannot be used for commercial purposes. Aero Admin allows free use for commercial purposes, but limits the time permitted. TeamViewer's least expensive plan costs $612 per year. Aero Admin's least expensive plan costs $90 per year. All I need is a system that allows me to connect to a friend's computer on those rare occasions to assist with a computer problem. $90 per year is too much. But a plan that's nearly seven times more expensive is entirely out of the question. Those who provide support commercially may find that TeamViewer's features are worth the price. On the other hand, Aero Admin packs a lot of functionality into its least expensive offering and even its free offering. A friend is a big fan of TeamViewer, so I followed all of the rules when I switched to it last year. I signed up to create an account that TeamViewer presumably uses to determine whether the user is overstepping the bounds of free use. I had used TeamViewer once late in 2020, or maybe early 2021, for one session that took a little less than an hour. Everything worked exactly as it should. Then, after several months of not using TeamViewer at all, I needed to connect to another friend's computer. The connection started normally, but was terminated four minutes later with a warning about commercial use. I could reconnect time after time, but four-minute sessions aren't exactly efficient. I had decided to dump TeamViewer, but I hadn't decided what to replace it with. After all, this is the capability I need just a few times a year. In late April, I needed to connect to a friend's computer to help resolve some problems with Windows updates and to see if I could figure out what was wrong with his Mozilla Thunderbird email application. Instead of TeamViewer, I decided to give Zoom a try. He has a commercial Zoom account because he uses Zoom for his business. I have a free Zoom account that I hardly ever use, and mostly for family calls. Zoom allowed him to share his screen and for me to request control of the screen. So it seemed like it might be a workable solution, but no. Zoom hides user access control warnings, and it disallows mouse control for some applications. As a result, I had to depend on my friend to watch for and respond to UAC warnings, and I had to ask him to close some of the dialog boxes and to click far too many menus and buttons. I knew what I needed to get done to investigate the computer problems, but I had to explain to him what to click and it was frustrating for both of us. So, using Zoom, I talked him through the process of downloading and installing Aero Admin. When we were connected, I had full control of his computer. I was able to run Microsoft diagnostic apps. I downloaded, installed, and ran other utilities that made diagnosing the problem quick and easy. 
Later, I needed to transfer a file from my computer to his. That's a feature the free version of Aero Admin does not support. But a workaround was easy. I uploaded the file from my computer to the TechBinder website, installed FileZilla on his computer using Aero Admin, connected to the TechBinder server using FileZilla, and downloaded the file to his computer. I deemed TeamViewer to be unacceptable for free, non-commercial use. Zoom is hopeless for anyone who needs to control someone else's computer. Aero Admin is the hands-down choice for free applications, but I did mention limitations. So what are they? The free version of Aero Admin, which unlike TeamViewer can be used for personal or commercial applications, has a limit of 17, not 17 minutes, 17 hours per month. Considering I need to connect to someone's computer to help with a problem no more than about once every few months, it is very unlikely that I will ever run afoul of that limit. There are some nice-to-have features in the paid version, $90 per year instead of TeamViewer's $612 per year, but the free version is more than enough for my limited needs. If you want to check out the options I've described, you'll find links to Aero Admin, TeamViewer, and Zoom on the TechBiter Worldwide website www.techbiter.com If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you and so does the cat. In short circuits, spams and scams fascinate me, and the approach I take with them often involves analysis of where scammy email has come from and where the links would take someone who clicks the link. A few people will want to take that much time to analyze something, even if they know how. As I told a friend who got sucked into a scam involving his bank, any email must be assumed to be a con until it proves that it is not. So check out the TechBiter Worldwide website. You'll see a copy of an email that I received this week. Would you click the link to get that promised over $400 value gift card? You'll see that I've obscured my email address. It's already known to at least 90% of the scammers and spammers on the planet, but there's no need in exposing it to the other 10%. The single most important protection against being scammed is not hardware or software. It is wetware. That's the stuff between our ears. And also a little skepticism. What can we learn using only our eyes and our brain? Well, the message has six tells. Let's take a look at them. First, the mail is from contact at gaqknmnhpkgbh.com. If that address doesn't raise your hackles or at least a little bit of suspicion, it certainly should. It may not be much of a surprise to learn that the domain doesn't even exist. It's dead simple to make a message look like it came from anywhere. 
It's also easy to examine the message in a way that shows what its exact point of origin was, but I'm limiting this to just what can be seen and surmised by looking at the email. So look again, look at the sender, Jessica-Surfin, S-U-R-F-I-N. There's a hyphen between Jessica, presumably her name, and Surfin, as in surfing. Alarm bells should be quite loud by now, and we're not even past the sender's address, and there are five more things to look at. Second, there's a meaningless confirmation ID, OIP5, OIP5. Now, what's the likelihood that any legitimate confirmation ID will consist of a sequence of three letters and a number, followed by the same three letters and the same number? It's possible, of course, just as a random number generator will eventually create a sequence containing nothing but sixes, but it's unlikely very unlikely. Third, the message was sent shortly before midnight, so when I opened the message at 6 a.m., six of the 24 hours referred to had already passed. The offer was supposed to expire in 24 hours. And that's not the only problem with the line that says, over $400 in value, expiring in 24 hours' time, hurry and continue below. A gift card will have a specific value, a specific value not just over $400. Saying that something expires soon is used to create a false sense of urgency. When we humans respond to urgency, we sometimes forget to think critically. Point number four, there's a collect here button in the message. Now this message is from someone I don't know at an unfamiliar address. So the first rule for links is do not click. Hovering the mouse over the link, not clicking, just hovering, shows that it goes to storage.googleapis.com forward slash topinal forward slash go.html. Of course, you don't have to do that, but if you do, the link looks like it might be legitimate. Is it? Well, the prime directive, to borrow a term from Star Trek, supersedes everything. So don't click the link, even if it looks like it might be legitimate. I know a way to load the link into a Microsoft PowerShell session so that the code can be viewed safely. I did that, and I found it would redirect me to dirtbikesblog.com, where a scammer has probably installed malicious code. So once again, I've gone beyond just looking and thinking, but the do not click unknown links continues to apply regardless. Fifth, Obvious by its absence is information about why the recipient might be receiving an over $400 value gift card from an unknown sender at a ridiculous email address. Sometimes it's a good idea to compare something that happens online with something that might happen in real life. Let's say you're walking along a street and someone you don't know approaches you. Hurry, he says, I have a gift card worth more than $400 and you could have it, but you must hurry. What would your response be? These kinds of scams usually are done in person with what's called a gangster bankroll. has a few hundred dollar bills on top and a lot of one dollar bills at the bottom. The scammer flashes what looks like thousands of dollars in cash, seems to offer a way for you to get some of it, you would probably be suspicious enough to just walk away, just as you should walk away from email scams. And by the way, if you want to know how a gangster bankroll is assembled, 
check the link to the WikiHow article I've included in this week's TechBiter Worldwide. And point number six, there is an unsubscribe button at the bottom of the message. Should you click that? Well, go back to the Prime Directive. Do not click unknown links. Clicking an unsubscribe link just confirms that you're home and you will read emails. A crook will not remove you from the list, even if you ask them to. Even if you ask them really nicely. So it is possible to avoid most scams, cons, social engineering ploys, and other tactics that are designed to separate you from your money by just employing a bit of cautious suspicion and thinking critically before acting. Making copies of a document is a lot easier than it used to be. Many people have printers at home that have a scanner function and also work as a copier, maybe even as a fax machine. Remember fax? Whether you have a multifunction printer or not, there is another option. A lot of banks make it possible to deposit checks without going to the bank or even a nearby ATM. Just put the check on your desk, use the phone to snap a picture of the front and back, and press a button. My bank immediately acknowledges receipt of the check and then an hour or two later tells me whether the transaction was successful or not and when the money will be available. So you do have a portable scanner if you have nearly any smartphone. If you need to create a permanent copy of a receipt, make a copy of a medical form for submission to an insurance company, or record the contents of a whiteboard from a meeting, your phone can do the job. Okay, so maybe you haven't attended a business meeting where a whiteboard was involved for a while, maybe a year or more, but business meetings and whiteboards probably will return someday. Microsoft's application for this is called Lens, and it's available in versions for Android and iOS phones, and even for Windows phones if you have one. It does a lot more than just capture pictures of business cards, documents, or whiteboards, though. It can also perform optical character recognition, sometimes even with handwritten text, if it is written very clearly. Admittedly, even I sometimes have trouble deciphering my handwriting, but Lens didn't perform well even when I wrote very clearly. It wasn't surprising to see the poor results from my normal handwriting. Check it out on the TechBiter Worldwide website. But the poor results from a clearly written sentence did surprise me. Lens can perform OCR on handwriting only in English, and even that seems not to work very well. But Microsoft says that Lens can perform OCR in 30 languages for printed documents, and if English is any indicator, that works very well. There are also options for Lens to recognize data in tables and capture it in tabular form. When capturing a business card, the OCR function can recognize first and last names, phone numbers, email addresses, and other common bits of data, then save that information to your phone's contacts application. Check out the links on the TechBiter Worldwide website to Microsoft's website to see more about Lens for Android or Lens for iOS. If you decide you want to download it, the apps can be downloaded from the Apple Store or the Google Play Store. 
No OCR is required for spare parts, other than that provided by your eyes. Visit the TechBiter Worldwide website, scroll down, and this week you'll find these articles. Adobe Creative Cloud users who also use Docs or Slides in the Google Workspace will find that the systems now connect with each other. When the PR people forget to check with the technicians, embarrassing mistakes can happen, such as that in a recent email from the Mozilla Foundation. And 20 years ago, both Gateway and Juno had just settled with the Federal Trade Commission over use of the word free. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.